if you think about um, what you're there to do, and if you've got any kind of leadership role, in my mind, part of what you're there to do is to create the conditions for other people to succeed. And if one of, you know, one of the problems is that the, that the success is not, let's say, being optimised, then, then for me the first question is always what's my role in it? And so I always encourage people before they start looking at the environment, the context, the other people in the team, the competition, all of those other things, my, my prompt is always to say, what's your role in it? Hello and welcome to another episode of Mindful Venturing. I'm your host, Prashant Pongshay. And on this episode, we're joined by a special guest, Mel Rosenthal, who's an executive coach and mentor. Mel and I discuss what role mindfulness has in coaching and mentoring and how it can help people get unstuck and be more successful. I deliberately shared that snippet from our interview because quite often conversations with Mel uh, just leave me with so many prompts and questions which are, you know, really insightful and thought-provoking. And uh, I think uh, after you listen to this interview, you too will be asking yourself, uh, what's my role in it, uh, amongst other things. More from Mel in a moment. I just wanted to talk briefly about why I thought about this intersection between mindfulness and, you know, coaching and mentoring, be it in a more formal sense or, or you know, through... Uh, an informal set of friends or other mentors that people have. You know, I'm hearing so much at the moment from people who are just really stuck and are finding it hard to get unstuck. Now, naturally, one of the things I'm going to talk to them about is trying to be more mindful. But as I'm sure you can appreciate, mindfulness isn't just this one thing that will magically fix all other things. It's really an important piece of that puzzle. So it's connected to all these other areas and, you know, it's a two-way connection. So if someone is really stuck, they do need to get a bit unstuck sometimes before they can start being more mindful in whatever form that might take, be it meditation or a hobby or, you know, whatever they consider to be mindful that brings them back into that present moment and helps them work through um, their challenging times. So sure, mindfulness can help you get unstuck, but if it can't, then you won't be able to easily get to be more accepting or be more present or, you know, put that distance between the problems that you're having and the solutions that you need. And I think so much of our conversations to date have been about meditating by ourselves. And in this episode and in future episodes, I want to talk more about meditation as it is connected to other people in our lives, be it our professional lives or our uh, social lives or our family lives. Because as I mentioned in the last episode, it's that interconnectedness with others, which really, as people, makes us feel whole. I know when I'm stuck, it's those conversations with people that I can turn to that really, alongside the mindfulness, help me get unstuck. I'm always willing 
to turn to others and I'm very fortunate to have people like Mel who I can turn to. So I was surprised or have been surprised over the last few years when I've asked others, you know, if they do the same. Um, the responses weren't, you know, an overwhelming yes like I would expect. Okay, so maybe I was being a bit naive. But even in the group of people who said they had someone to turn to, they said, well, actually, it doesn't always help me get unstuck. And I think there's two reasons for that or two main reasons for that. One, they can't be 100% honest and truthful with the people that they're talking to. You know, for whatever reason, they're having to keep up appearances or, um, you know, worried about what people might think about what they're saying. So it's not as safe a space um, as it should be or needs to be to be effective. And equally, a sounding board in, in my view, especially for those challenging times, is not really that useful unless they are, as Mel calls them, an accountability partner to help you stay on track and, and you know, hold you a bit accountable to um, make sure that you do follow through or, or have a, you know, an honest chat about it when, when you don't quite follow through. And actually, that reminds me of that quote I read out in the previous episode um, around self-compassion from Kristen Neff, which said, you know, hiding our true selves from others then makes us feel even more alone. If we can compassionately remind ourselves in moments of falling down that failure is part of the shared human experience, then that moment becomes one of togetherness rather than isolation. So look, that's that's uh, probably enough of an introduction from me. Who better to talk through this with than Mel? Um, links to her and her work are in the episode notes, and I'll also talk a bit about that at the end of the interview. So please enjoy uh, my chat with Mel Rosenthal. Well, the reason I in invited you on our podcast was because when I started thinking about the issues that entrepreneurs have and creatives in general have when they are thinking about mindfulness, it's often related to how they're managing themselves and how they're managing others. Uh, and when you and I had spoken previously, um, it made sense to have you on because of what you do um, in this space. Um, so I thought that might be a good point to start. And perhaps you could um, yeah, just describe how you help entrepreneurs and founders um, in your uh, coaching and mentoring work. Yeah, absolutely. So look, I, I mean, I pretty much spend all day long having conversations with entrepreneurs, uh, founders, leaders in large corporates. And the context is, yeah, as you said, I, I'm, a, I'm a coach and a mentor. And we're always focusing our conversations on, on how to be better. And it might be how to make the business better, how to make the individual feel better, perform better, how to make the teams more effective. So there's really this, this focus on mindset and performance and how the two things are linked. And I think that's a lot of the, the conversations that, that you and I have had. And you know, I've been doing this uh, for just over 12 years now. And I've seen some some really interesting developments in that space, and I'd you know love to to talk to you a little bit about that through our conversation today. Oh, that would be terrific. Um, so just to give our listeners some bit of context, then you mentioned you work in all these different areas with our founders and entrepreneurs. You know, sometimes it is uh, related to some issue that they're having in the business. Sometimes it's related to how 
they're managing themselves and so on. So what's your entry point into these discussions or do they come to you with a specific problem? That's usually the case. I often get a phone call that says, I'm having a problem with, and it might be I'm having a problem personally or it might be someone in my team is having a problem or our team collectively is having a problem. But there's usually some sort of recognition that there's something that somebody would like to be better and they'd like to use the mechanism of coaching, which is that idea of being asked questions, having a mirror held up to to look inside and see what's happening, to, to diagnose what's actually occurring, to then be able to work together on, on a plan to make it different. So it usually does start with a catalyst that is problem-oriented, although very occasionally I get a call that says, Things are good. I know things are good, but yeah. I know also know that they can be better. So, you know, that I'd say that's the exception, but it does happen sometimes. Yeah, interesting. Um, and so how do you how much time do you spend getting to into the detail of where things are not quite working and, and how often does it end up being more about how the how the individual is managing themselves? So the, the how much time question, that one's really a how long's a piece of string, right? Mm. So, you know, sometimes that depends on how self-aware the person is. It might depend on how much time they've spent thinking about the problem. It might depend on whether or not I find the right question to ask them to unlock what's going on. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, I don't want to avoid your question, but it's actually a really hard one to answer. Yeah, the, I, I think I sort of merged about three questions into one, into one question just then <laughs> because I'd, got, I'd gotten a bit ahead of myself. What I was thinking about was, you know, when I've had, I'm not, I'm not you know, doing this day in, day out like you, um, but when I've done that, done some coaching in, in my, my life, both professional or personal, I, I'm always sort of trying to get to the point where um, you're trying to, as you say, put that mirror back onto the person and say, well, this is what, is going on with you, but I I I I understand that in your case, um, it might take some time to get there. So that's what I was really trying to trying to unpack. Yeah, look, it, it definitely doesn't. You know, often it depends on how well I know the person to start with, mm. um, and so how you know how you build that trust, how you build that that relationship to make them feel comfortable about being vulnerable with you about what isn't working. I think that's a really important part of the process and then you know once you've been able to to develop that relationship to develop that trust what it what it does for me as a coach is it it really allows me to ask them the hard deeper thought-provoking questions that allows them to kind of get inside themselves and go what's really going on for me here and what is my role in creating the problem that we've got or stopping the problem yeah. from being solved or, you know, whatever it is. But but ultimately, you know, I think part of your question, if, if I understand it right, part of your question is how much of it is about what's going on for the individual inside themselves. And I think the answer to that is always a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that is kind of what I was, what I was trying to get at because in, in my experience anecdotally, um, a lot of founders and entrepreneurs don't think it's about them. Now, granted, from what you said, 
by the time they get to you, um, there is at least some admission or some acknowledgement uh, or some perhaps self-awareness of that. Um, but it, I, I'm really curious about how, how, can, how can we get people to be more self-aware, to be more understanding that um, there's a lot more that they could be doing to, as you say, be better um, and take those early steps to getting the help without actually feeling like, oh, this is too hard or it's not for me and, and so on. Mm, look, I, you know, I think some of it on, on one level sort of comes down to how the person, well, you know, whether they're a founder or, you know, or, or a person, you know, within a startup, you know, no, no matter what your role is, but if, if you think about um, what you're there to do, and if you've got any kind of leadership role, in my mind, part of what you're there to do is to create the conditions for other people to succeed. And yes. if one of, you know, one of the problems is that, that the success is not, let's say, being optimised, then, then for me the first question is always what's my role in it? And so I always encourage people before they start looking at the environment, the context, the other people in the team, the competition, all of those other things, my, my prompt is always to say, what's your role in it? What's your part in it? That is so good. Um, I, it's, it's, almost like, it's almost like we should be asking ourselves that question, you know, a lot, uh, certainly a lot more often than, than we do. You mentioned being vulnerable, um, and I wonder if that's hard to get people to be vulnerable in their interactions with you or when you're talking to them about these issues, because it's not something that comes easily to people at times. It's not. That's true. Um, I think part of it, part of it is in how I guess I set up the relationship with the person for coaching. Mm -hmm. and, I, and, and part of it is if you're not prepared to be vulnerable, it's not, I mean, not that they'll waste their money in a sense, but I think there's this really open, transparent acknowledgement up front that one of the conditions for success in coaching and mentoring is actually vulnerability. And while you may not get there in the first session and you may not even get there in the second session, I think the test for me is, is the person willing to acknowledge that that's an important part of the process and willing to give it a try and yeah. willing to be pushed and challenged by me in that conversation to try and get there? And for some people, give, just given the safety of the, the coaching conversation, the confidentiality, the fact that I'm an external person, that I'm not caught up in their day-to-day, -day. for some that's enough for them to just go, I'm there, this is my space, this is, this is my, almost my luxury to yes. have this, this private space to be vulnerable that nobody else gets to see and they embrace it right from the get-go. For others, as I said, it's a bit more difficult because to your exact point, they're not used to it. They're used to having to be in an environment where they feel like they can't be vulnerable, but part of what I actually encourage them to do is be more vulnerable in more situations because I think as a leader that vulnerability gets you a long way in terms of building trust within your team. Mm. 
how do you how do you get people to do that in, in different situations? Depends on their starting point, but I think for me it often feels a little bit like building a brick wall. You know, it starts with one brick, right? So you yes. you you start with something small, a small opportunity to demonstrate how you're genuinely feeling about something. So rather than having to to feel like you're propping up the team all the time and everything's fine and everything's going to be great and I feel confident, yes. if there's a small opportunity, just just an instant to say, this is going to be tough or, you know, I'm not sure but I think we should give this a go or, you know what, like in, in the current times that we're dealing with, guess what, I'm finding this remote thing hard too, just something that says to the people around you, I'm human and I'm a little bit vulnerable and this is what I'm feeling. Oh, that's fantastic. And do you find that it gets people closer to their true self in a way? Because I find that there are there are times when people are creating more te- internal tension for themselves because the story's in their head about what's going on and what their role in what, in it is is a bit different from what is represented by reality. And really, if they just sort of go back to themselves and what's going on inside them, they're actually getting more down to the truth. I think that's such an interesting point. I'm a big fan and in my coaching practice, I'm a big user of the narrative coaching technique, which is essentially all about the stories we tell ourselves and the reasons why we tell ourselves those stories and what impact those stories have on us and the people around us. So I think the more we can understand the difference between the voices in our head and and the reality of, of the the world in which we're operating, I, I mean, I think there's incredible value in that. Yeah, interesting. And I think back to something you said earlier, um, I think it's it's really it's really critical the sort of relationship you're able to develop with people because as you say it becomes a bit of a safe space for them um, to be able to have someone independent but someone who's very much invested in uh, making them better and it allows them to be much freer in what they're saying and 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 how they're saying it and that too is going to contribute to them getting uh, to the right maybe not maybe the right narrative is not the way to put it um, but actually getting to solving their issues I th- I think the uh, you, you hit on a really important point. You know, as you as I heard you kind of try some different language there around you know the right narrative and you know that kind of thing. I don't think it's about the right narrative necessarily, and I don't think it's about you know the uh, the the right way to do things or the right way to see things. I think for me, it's about what is the most helpful way to see things and to talk about things so and helpful in terms of how does it make me feel and and what is the impact that it has when I use that language with other people how do they respond to it and how helpful is is it for them so rather than thinking about right and wrong which I think makes us all feel like we've backed ourselves into a corner you know oh no I said the wrong thing yes as opposed to that thing I said wasn't the most helpful let me reframe it yeah, that's so true. And it gets back to what you were saying, I think, about you're building a brick wall one brick at a time. Um, it's it's a process. And so you're on this journey 
and you don't want to pass too much judgment to you on 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 that you just want to be a part of it you want to be present you want to actually um, do the work that's involved um, and just take it step by step absolutely and i think the you know i I don't want to extend the metaphor too far but the sort of the nice thing about the the building the brick wall metaphor is if you put a brick down and it doesn't look like it's in the right spot or you put it down it doesn't look like it's quite the right color you can take it off you know, you can you can kind of backtrack and you can try something else, and that's I think all part of the the experimentation that is necessary as we think about you know working to be better. We don't expect to get it right first time every time. We know we're going to muck some things up. We we need to be generous and forgiving of ourselves and others through that, and the way we do that is to you know to do something, to reflect on it and say, how did that go? Didn't go quite as well as I'd hoped. How would I change it next time and have another crack at it? Yes, yes. And do you find then that it gets to a point where, or is there sort of a threshold for people where once they start working with you, they can actually, you know, they reach a point where they can actually say, oh, yes, I, I'm, I, I can see this is working. Uh, and then past the point, does your job get a bit easier or or am I simplifying it too much? I look, I don't think you're simplifying it too much. What I would say is I think the bar keeps moving. Yeah. So what looks what looks like, you know, a big aha moment and some success in the process in the first two sessions looks really different in session six or session seven because people have moved, they have progressed, and they're looking for the next thing. So it really is a process of continuous improvement and and resetting the goals, because as people get momentum, they want more. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, Okay. Um, Just switching gears slightly um, to mindfulness. Um, I'm just curious now, in your experience, how many founders or entrepreneurs or leaders have you come across who actually do some kind of mindfulness practice, whatever that might be? The short answer is a lot, but I think the the longer response to that says everybody's got a really different definition of mindfulness. You know, for yes. some, they and I'm, and you and I have talked about this quite a lot, but for some, you know, they'll jump straight to meditation as the way they are mindful yes. for others it's you know it's cycling or it's playing the guitar or something where they have to focus on that specific thing that they are doing and can't think about other things at the same time so they are you know they are mindful about the the thing that they are doing for others it's about when i'm at work when i'm in a meeting with my team i am working on being in the moment with them not being distracted, not looking at my phone, not thinking about the meeting I've got after this one, but actually staying with the person I'm with and staying with the issue I'm currently working on. So I think, you know, there are lots of versions of mindfulness and lots of different practices of mindfulness that, that I see, you know, across my client base with all different sort of forms of effectiveness as a result. Mm, that's really interesting too because I, I'm always trying to say to people that it's not just this one thing. 
um, mindfulness doesn't equal meditation. Uh, it's just that meditation tends to be the easy in for people, um, and and that's fine too. Um, but it's really great to hear actually that in your experience there are people who are being mindful in so many different forms. Um, you mentioned that you know some things work, some things uh, don't work. Um, what are some of the things that you've seen that that do work for people? So with the with the do work and 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 don't work, I think you know that for me it's it, it's more a question of their I guess their effectiveness as they learn to do it. You know, yeah. I, I think um, and you know more about this one than I do, but I think one of the common responses when you start talking to people about meditation is people say, I can't meditate. Yeah. You know, I can't, I can't do it as opposed to saying, well, do it for one minute and see if, you know, and, and, or do it for five minutes, do it for 10 minutes. Don't try and do it for an hour yeah, on, your, on, your first, on your first go at it. So the, the working not working I think is well, what are you doing it for? So are you doing it for relaxation? Are you doing it for focus? Are you, you know, like why, why are you doing mm. it? Have you picked the right technique to match your objective? Yes. And, and then looking at making sure that you're practising in the right way so that, so that you can get better at it. I mean, not, not working might just be I'm not practised enough at it or it's the wrong technique or I'm just, I'm just impatient. I haven't got there yet, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And actually what you what you said made me realize that I've had similar conversations with people too. Um where I've had to say to them, yeah, you know, don't don't put too much pressure on yourself. Try 5 minutes. Uh, try it at a certain time of day. Just giving them tips just to get started. And actually just feel feel their way through it by actually doing the experience, uh, having the experience themselves. Um so I'm I'm curious though, uh, I don't know if there's any data or studies on this, but I I wonder if 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 people who are more mindful or at least attempting to be more mindful um, are are more successful mentees for you um, than those that aren't. That's a really hard question to to answer. Actually, um, I don't know that I don't know that I've got a really clear view of that because again it, it depends it means on different why, things for different people too doesn't it it does and it depends on why they've they've come yeah. to me yeah. so honestly i just i just don't really know how to answer that one no that's fair um and one of the other things you mentioned was that you've seen some interesting developments um in this area um in your you know many years of experience um so i don't know if you I don't know if that's uh, something you want to sort of talk about now or we can talk about it later. One of the things I've noticed become really at the forefront of conversations with clients and with friends um, over the last few months, and I think it, it's really been prompted in some ways by the COVID scenario that we've all found ourselves in, is this idea of, of fitness. And I think the definition of fitness used to be for people, used to be very limited to Physical fitness, yes. cardiovascular strength, you know, the, the traditional version of fitness. And what I've seen over the last, certainly the last few years, 
is the broadening of the definition of fitness so that we're talking physical, we're talking mental in terms of, you know, the strength of mind mm-hmm. and I think mindfulness comes to play in terms of that, that strength of mind, um, emotional fitness in terms of resilience and things yeah. like that, um, learning fitness and gr- like growth fitness in the workplace. So how am I developing my learning muscles like the Carol Dweck work on, mm. on growth mindset rather than fixed mindset? Yeah. And I think, you know, relationship fitness too, certainly. And, again, I'll speak only to to the workplace. Um, But that idea of how do we build strong relationships, how do we build trust in the workplace and how do we invest in the development and maintenance of those relationships in a way that actually contributes to, to that mental fitness, to that emotional fitness. So I think there's a real broadening of this definition of what it means to be at work yeah that's so true and then that that should mean that if you have to work on these different areas then you either have to you know learn how to do those things or be be more emotionally fit or mentally fit um or ideally um as you're learning actually find a partner or a coach or a friend or someone who can be helping you and and cheering you on um, on that journey too. Absolutely. I think there's there's the cheering on part and I think the other part that people find very helpful is the accountability partner piece. Yeah. So I've said I'm going to do this and, you know, it's it's like when you agree to meet a friend at the park to go for a run. You're much more likely to turn up if you've agreed to meet someone else yes. than if you haven't because you've made that commitment. Yeah, that's really important. And I think this is one area where mindfulness practice can be difficult for people because um, the people's way into it is usually meditation, nothing wrong with that. And the way into meditation quite often is an app. Um, And an app is great, um, but even the best apps, as good as they are, helping you build a meditation habit or a mindfulness habit, um, it is on your phone. It is something you can turn off. Um, so having a human who you're accountable to is really important. And I'm doing that with one of my friends at the moment where um, I'm helping him get started in meditation because he's a little sceptical. And the couple of times I've spoken to him, I've just said to him, okay, by next week, just do five minutes a day and let me know how you go. And he found that very helpful just to have someone accountable uh, to just just help him get going. Yeah, absolutely. It make, and it makes all the difference, both, both you know, again, that, that commitment, that accountability, and then for you to be able to say to him at the end of five days or seven days, good on you, mate, well done. Yeah. You know, that, that, that reinforcing support cheer squad stuff. Um, oh, it's so nice. It's really important. It's so nice just to see someone um, get something out of it um, and, and, and help someone uh, get there. I think it helps to, to to be able to provide that space to say this is actually what I got out of it. You know, it, to, if I have to ring you and say I did it, I meditated for the last five days, I know that you're going to ask me what was it like for you? What was, yeah. you know, sort of what was good about it? What, what didn't you like about it? Where, you know, where are you struggling? And it, and it helps me to actually process all of that. So there's, I think there's incredible benefit in that part of it too. Mm-hmm.
Well, wasn't that amazing? I really hope you enjoyed that and got a lot out of it. I know I did because even in the process of editing that interview, which was recorded a few weeks ago, I was taking notes and got so much more out of it uh, myself. So, for example, you know, when Mel was talking about founders and leaders needing to create the conditions for others to succeed, I think now if I, or the next time I come across someone who needs that nudge into some kind of coaching or mentoring, that's where I'll start with. That, you know, to get to that point where you are um, helping others and yourself succeed, you do need to engage with someone who's going to help you get there. It's very hard to get there by yourself, particularly in our risky entrepreneurial or innovative environments where we're constantly experiencing change and the ups and the downs. And having somebody to talk to who, you know, you can be really truthful with and it's a safe space for you to share and also for them to not have you know, they're vested, they have a vested interest in your success, but there's no conflict there. So they can be really truthful with you and let you know exactly what you need to hear at that time. And the great thing that Mel mentioned, I think, is that relationship evolves over time because as your needs change, then the coach and the mentor, especially if they're as good as Mel, can really adapt to what you need in that moment or in that context. Uh, I'm sure you can hear in that interview that she's clearly very good at what she does. Um, So obviously links in the uh, episode notes to uh, Mel's website. Her blog is a must read for me every week. Um, You can also subscribe to the newsletter, which actually delivers it straight to your inbox. So definitely check those out. Um, In fact, stop what you're doing right now and check that out. Actually, and recently Mel has also written a, a great um, PDF on scaling teams. So the five P's of scaling teams, which is a terrific resource. So I'll um, have a link to that in the episode notes as well. Thanks again to Mel um, for her time and her great insights. Um, so uh, please uh, share it with your friends and people in your network who you think would find this episode useful as well. Particularly if you think, you know, right now they, they're struggling a bit and they just need that Uh, combination of mindfulness and um, a mentor and a coach uh, that can really help them get through some challenging times and please uh, let me know what you think as always podcast at mindfulventuring.com is the email and there's also a quick link to feedback uh, in the episode notes really curious to know what you think about um, having a mentor and a coach and what your experience has been what's worked for you what hasn't and how all this intersects for you uh, with mindfulness So thanks again for joining me on Mindful Venturing. Uh, Until next time, keep calm and venture on.